Kia ora, I'm Andrew Whiteside. New Zealand Opera has announced its 2024 season and it consists of three very different operatic performances and a change in ethos. To talk about the upcoming program is the new General Director of New Zealand Opera, Brad Cohen. Brad Cohen, nice to talk to you this morning. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I woke up early, but I've been in the office. We're doing stuff. housekeeping, getting ready for the end of the year. Before we get into the 2024 season, the actual shows themselves, I'm just wondering if you can give me some sense of of an overview or a strategy or a plan of of what that season is, what it means to the the company. Well, we're quietly repositioning ourselves um, as a community-facing opera company. So let me explain a little bit more about that. It's what I describe as a quiet pivot. Um, the traditional way of opera companies functioning in countries like New Zealand, Australia um, and America is that we are the harbingers of high European art, which we serve to the grateful masses. They pay us for tickets, they go away again, and then at some future time we serve them more high European art. I think that's just that model is not really fit for purpose anymore. And what we're positioning ourselves and thinking hard about is what does opera mean in Aotearoa and how can we connect much more closely with our communities? So we get away from a transactional relationship where we sell tickets, people buy tickets, and the relationship doesn't go much beyond that to the idea that community is our heart, that audiences are our reason for being, and that artist development is our future. So that, in a nutshell, is the strategy that we are formulating for going forward. It's community-based. That is, it's uh, serving the community, but it's also finding out what kind of opera we can make with the community. It's talking about audiences and pleasing audiences really being at the core of what we're doing rather than having a doctrinaire approach that people should be grateful for what we're doing and just suck it up. And it has a long view about the sustainability of opera in Aotearoa and what that requires. We define that really as being about developing skills and artists going forward for the long term. I'm assuming that this hasn't uh, happened in a vacuum. So you've gone through a process of consultation with your audiences and with other stakeholders to reach this place? Yes, there's a, of course, feedback is really important to us and it's something that is a bit undervalued historically by opera companies Um, but part of the challenge facing us is that actually the connection with our community the connection with our audiences has thinned over the past few years i think because of covid because of disruption Mm -hmm. and possibly because the sense that the previous um, artistic direction of the company was um, quite happy to be radical and provocative and if we lost a few of our traditional audience, because we were doing new stuff, then so be it. I've got a much more uh, emollient and, uh, um, what shall I say, inclusive approach than that. I really don't think we can afford as an opera company with a national remit to lose any of our audience. We need to include as many people as we can in our offering. We need to offer as many um projects and productions as will satisfy the greatest number of our community. So that's really the kind of uh, obligation that I think we have as an opera company. So in other words, it's, it's about more diversity? It's about 
diversity. I'm, I'm cautious about that word. I think it can be used very lightly, but also it can be used lightly in a, in a trivial way. We definitely don't mean diversity in that way. Um, we think that as these, the works that we present are incredibly rich and complex. And because of that, they have more than one touch point. Something that I'm saying a lot is opera has more than one kind of audience. And if we get trapped into a marketing or a presentational approach that says we only speak to well-heeled ladies over the age of 50 or we're only trying to attract a young date night crowd because they're our future subscribers, both of those are doomed to failure because by their very nature they exclude a vast swathe of the community who don't fall under that banner. So what we're trying to do is saying these works are powerful, they're complex, and there are lots of ways of approaching them. What we're trying to do is offer our audiences multiple simultaneous ways of approaching these works. That is not to flatten and oversimplify what they consist of. I'll give you an example. Our first production of the year, Mansfield Park, is based on a very respected, loved classic novel by Jane Austen, um, early 19th century, set to music by a contemporary English opera composer, first performed in 2011. Those two elements themselves make for a really interesting reflection on what an opera about Mansfield Park might be like. But on top of that, we're presenting it in a production which is outside the normal theatrical proscenium arch, that's in a small, intimate space. And that introduces a whole different approach to the opera experience for our audience. So it's a little bit like making a trifle. What we're trying to do is compose a lot of layers in which our audience can engage through all of them or through one of them or approach it in a different way. But these operas are not flat pieces, and that's what I'm really keen to get across in our messaging. They offer a lot of entry points for a lot of different audiences, and what we're trying to do is be as canny and clever as we can possibly be in our programming and choice so that we not only offer lots of entry points in, but communicate in our publicity and our marketing and our communications that there are there is more than one way in. You can be an opera aficionado and think, oh, how marvellous, Mansfield Park's having this New Zealand debut. I've heard about this production. I've seen it. And at the same time, you can go and say, well, I love Jane Austen. I don't know anything about contemporary opera, but I'll give it a go. That's, that's the idea. Um, well, it, it, it's, it sounds really innovative. I, I'm just looking, you've brought up Mansfield Park. So I'm looking at the, uh, the Auckland venue is the Settlers Country Manor in Waiuku. Yeah. So that, that is very different to um, the Kiri Takanawa Theatre in the Aotea Centre. So how do you stage an opera in a venue like that? And what is that venue like? Um, it's a, a kind of banqueting hall. The original Mansfield Park was composed for English stately homes. It was designed to be performed by 10 singers and two pianists playing at one piano, so piano four hands. Um, and it was de deliberately designed in a kind of tribute to salon music making of the early 19th century. Um, so it was designed to be performed away from the proscenium. I have seen it. I've seen the show four times because Jonathan Dove is one of my closest friends. I've seen it in a proscenium arch. I've seen it in an orchestral adaptation. I've seen it with the original piano forehands more than once. Um, and there is something very consonant about the way the piece has been composed for this intimate space. So the reason for doing it for Settlers Manor is we actually went auditioning and talent spotting 
venues, which is why we fixed on Public Trust Hall in Wellington and Settlers Manor in Cumier, because they offer a space which is large enough to fit a smallish audience, gives a stage area for the staging to be presented and allows for the inclusion of a grand piano. Hmm. So, and it, it sounds like it, I've never been to that venue, but I've seen pictures. It, it looks like it, it'll be quite evocative for the time period that the, the original story was set in. Well, I mean, without being too European about the whole thing, we got as close as we could, given the relative lack of stately homes and, um, you know, antiquated properties in <laughs> Altera. Um, so talk to me about the other two productions. We'll start with Le Contorie. Um, it, it's uh, sort of May and into June. Um, first of all, what appealed about this particular um, piece? Well, a number of things. If we're starting with trying to attract the widest possible range of audiences, what's fantastic about Ori is um, it's a bel canto masterpiece. It's only been performed, to our knowledge, in New Zealand once before by Canterbury Opera in 2006, but this will be NZ Opera's premiere production of the piece. Um, it's a piece I have known since the very beginning of my career, and I've not only conducted it in more than one production, but I've recorded it for CD. Um, so, so far, so normal. A Belcanto masterpiece, we love Italian 19th century opera, so it's logical that an opera company would do that. But there's a completely different way into Ori, which is that it has the most outrageous plot and scenario. Um, it's full of cross-dressing, gender-bending, seduction, disguise. Um, it's an outrage, really. And I think it hasn't been performed much over the last 200 years. And I think that's partly because this plot is so outrageous. It's quite, the original is quite anti-clerical. Uh, and it is all about desire, appetite, seduction and intrigue. So there's no learning. There's no moral. It's the very opposite of that. It's a pure hedonistic pleasure. <laughs> and it's a wonderful, it's a really wonderful piece. The music is fantastic and it's got this amazing trio, which is sublime music, uh, 14 minutes long of slow seduction music. But the twist is it's sung by three people in a bed together. You've got the tenor dressed as a female. You've got the soprano who thinks that she's in bed with the page and the page is a mezzo role sung by a woman, but it's a pants role, what, what we used to call the trouser role, where the mezzo is playing a male role. So you've got incredible uh, sexual politics complexity going on there and set to the most sublime music. So that kind of paradox is really delightful for us to present. And it will give a number of things to a number of different audiences. For those who are real connoisseurs, the chance to see the Contouri uh, in a full stage production by the National Opera Company is a real opportunity, especially with the quality of the cast that we've assembled. For those who love theatrical hijinks, all the outrage, the cross-dressing and the disguises will be an absolute giggle. It may be quite uh, an old opera, but it seems very timely right now. Well, you know, sexual politics are timeless. It's how they've been interpreted across history that's really interesting. And what's been traditionally true of Ori is that all the outrage of it has been sold very soft in previous productions, because it was thought, I think, that audiences would be offended by them. But in this production, we're taking the opportunity with Simon Phillips and Tracy Grant Lord to actually lean into the provocativeness of it. 
because it is an outrageous plot. So in a sense, we're playing it like the best comedy which should be played, which is absolutely, may I say, straight. Let's jump uh, into Rigoletto in, in September. Um, and again, why the story for, for this coming year? It's a classic. Um, there was a sense that we, the, the company had become associated with uh, provocation and with uh, smaller works presented in unusual spaces. So again, it's trying to mix up our offering and provide something for those parts of our audience and our community who felt less than well served by the company's offerings in recent years of the traditional repertoire. Um, I think we have two major responsibilities to ensure the sustainability of our art form going forward, but also as a national company to honour our past and to honour the past of the art form. So this production is a great example of that. It's by the late, um, recently departed Elijah Mijinsky, who died last year. It's a 30-year-old production, which is as fresh as the day it was made. I saw it in Sydney at the Opera House earlier this year. Uh, the issues of Rigoletto, of course, are always contemporary. They're about revenge, remorse, betrayal, and again, seduction. Um, and it's how those themes are interpreted and inflected through the production that makes it speak more or less closely to our time. This production by Mijinsky is set in a kind of 1950s Italy. There's a Fiat Bambina on stage and uh, a little bit of La Dolce Vita styling in terms of the production. But it's a really powerful telling of the story. And one thing that I'm really keen to enshrine at the heart of everything what we do is the messaging around the fact that opera is not just about champagne flutes and dressing up. It's not about the top end of town any more than it's about reaching out to communities across the nation. Opera is just storytelling through the power of a singing human voice. At its essence, that's all it is. And I think the 24 season really shows three different manifestations of that storytelling and advocating for the fact that they are all opera. Again, it goes back to this idea that there is more than one way in, there's more than one audience, and there's more than one definition of what opera is. For me, that really core definition with the storytelling through the power of the singing human voice is the most simple reduction that I have yet found for describing what opera is and what unifies all the different ways that opera is presented and experienced. Do you imagine that you may get pushback from what we do consider as a, as a you know, traditional um, opera audience? No, I don't think so. What, what, what I'm finding in presenting the season to um, the nation as I travel around is a great sense of relief and enjoyment that we are presenting these works as well as newer ones. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of nostrums talked about the opera audience as though it's a thing. Yeah. There's the idea that the 80-year-old generous benefactors don't want to see new work. Absolutely not true. New work is exactly what they want to see, but they also want to see the works that they know and love. There's another nostrum, which is that 80-year-old Pateha benefactors are opposed to work involving Marian Pacifica sensibilities and culture. Absolutely not true. The message I'm getting from all of these older benefactors is Morpheus, which we presented in 23, yes, was amazing. We was. want to see more of that. We want to see more of that kind of storytelling. So, again, 
a lot of this is about changing expectations and understanding. It's not that white 80-year-old benefactors are conservative. Let's not forget that they're the first real boomer generation. And they have a lot of expectations about what flexibility and inclusivity mean in the performing arts. And that continues to inform their expectations, even as they get older and richer. I guess any art form needs to change. It needs to be experimented with over time. Otherwise, it becomes very, uh, well, dull, doesn't it? It becomes very static. Well, you know, we have a curatorial role, I think, as a national opera company. But I'm not running a museum here. I'm running a live performing arts company. And the, the museum model of opera has really little very little runway left, I think, because we have to constantly renew. We always renew through the artists that are singing on the stage because there are always new generations of talent coming through. But we also need to mirror that with the kind of stories we're telling and the way that we're telling them. So there are three ways to really keep culture like opera alive, in my view. You can either do new work that is telling new stories, creating new stories. You can tell stories through old work but reinterpreted to speak to us and who we are now. And you can really foster and sustain the careers of your local and national artists. All of those three things are really profoundly renewing forces. Um, but without one of them, the art form becomes poorer and the offering that we make to our community also becomes poorer. So you really need all three of those pillars. Well, um, really interesting discussion. I'm, I'm glad you shared um, not only bits about the, the productions, but also the, the ethos, which I think um, sounds very exciting. So I'm, I'm really interested to see these productions. Thank you very much for your time and uh, all the best for that season. Thank you very much. It's great to talk to you. I appreciate it. That was Brad Cohen, the General Director of New Zealand Opera, talking about the company's 2024 season. Now, on my website, you'll find plenty of interviews, reviews, and lots of my opinion. I cover the arts and entertainment industry and the LGBTQ communities. All of that on andrewwhiteside.com. While there, you can sign up for my regular newsletters, and if you want to support my journalism, you can do so by buying me a coffee. Links to that also on the website. I am Andrew Whiteside. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you soon.